Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, second-year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hey, Dr. Parks. Fourth-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. D.M. Wen. Hi, D.M. Hi, Dr. Parks. Third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Joshua. How you doing, Dr. Parks? And second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, Dr. Parks. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Well, on today's show, we are happy to have, once again, our guest host, Dr. Saloni Singh. She's a third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, and she has presented on drug interactions uh, involving cannabis and has a special interest uh, in psychiatry and addictions. Uh, so we, we have to have a, we had to have a, a second show on cannabis because there's just so many issues, it explodes with issues. And I just want to, I want to start it off though, uh, Saloni, maybe you could take this, uh, this our special guest, as far as the dangers or the risks of cannabis, we want to provide balanced perspective. So we've heard a lot of things about psychosis, maybe in adolescence, uh, things like that, maybe how it exacerbates symptoms. What are your thoughts about what the research says about cannabis? Yeah, so uh, it's yeah, it's very important to talk about the negative effects of cannabis. And when I did the, my presentation on the interactions, I looked this up, and basically there are a, there are negative effects. Something that Tosha mentioned in the previous show, I think that you have this I, this idea that a lot of um, of our patients use cannabis for anxiety or depression when it's not actually indicated for those things. But worse yet, it can make those things worse, both in the short and long term. So um, when we use THC in higher, especially in higher percentages of the product, if, if, the, if the product has more THC or a higher ratio of THC, then- and we should talk about that, THC and CBD. We should talk about that later. Yes. Yeah. And there is a difference between THC and CBD. So right now I'm talking specifically about THC, which is the uh, I don't like to say psychoactive component because I think CBD is also psychoactive. It just doesn't give you a high, but it's the, it's what you consider, you know, what we really think of when we think of weed, what, what we get our high from is the THC. So it, we have this increased acute anxiety when a lot of us use THC and that's kind of what you might have heard of anecdotally people saying that they get paranoid on, on THC, they get kind of on edge, which, you know, even though a lot of people do get immediate anxiety relief, there are some, what, what you might call a paradoxical reaction like this, where it's increased acute anxiety, especially with higher doses of THC. And then you have cognitive and psychomotor impairments of THC, again, both acutely and chronically. There's not as much evidence of chronic use. We, don't, we just don't have a lot of research on THC in general, but definitely acutely there are cognitive impairments, especially to memory, which I think most people know about. If you've watched any kind of media or movie with people who use, use THC, you know that their short-term memory is not great. And um, I would actually, the, um, the, the talks that I've been to on cannabis, um, the lecturers have mentioned that if you're using cannabis heavily before age 13, you can predict a loss of IQ points by 
by five, five IQ points, loss of five IQ points later in adulthood. And that you can't make up once you quit weed. Whereas if you actually are using chronically as an adult after the age of 13 or even like a later teen, um, once you quit cannabis, you regain those IQ points that acutely drop. Um, But if you're using before 13, you can't make that up later, even if you quit. Um, And then also cognitive issues last a long time after you use cannabis. It can last weeks after your use of cannabis. Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, that's really, that's really important. I think what Tosha's just spoke to is this irreversibility that you have for some of these negative effects. And it's very pronounced when, you know, you're younger. And that makes sense. When we, what we know about the brain and neurogenesis, we know that you know, we have very little neurogenesis in general after we're born, but we have more, you know, brain basically like synaptic formation and brain modeling. A lot of it is going on when we're getting, as we're, as we're children, as we're getting older um, and progressing through our childhood. And so it makes sense that there are certain developmental things that happen in your brain that would be adversely affected by cannabis because it even happens happens in adults, that in some way, it's like a point of no return, uh, like what Tosha said, that you just can't get it back, even once you stop it, even if you've stopped it for years. Um, And then I think another point that Tosha made was that it can last weeks, these negative effects, that's very important too, because THC is fat soluble, the way that we eliminate it from our body is different, say, than the way we eliminate alcohol. And so that is why THC lasts so long in urine drug screens and things like that. So you do have the um, cognitive impairments, though they may be quite subtle compared to the acute intoxication period. You have those cognitive impairments for weeks, um, more pronounced in younger people. And then, um, you know, this is not, this is nothing, this is not even mentioning psychosis. And that's something that I don't know if someone else wants to talk about that, or there's a, there's a lot to say about that too. So psychosis is the main one of the main concerns we have about cannabis and um, anecdotally when I was working the inpatient unit um, in Riverside it was it became rare this is after legalization it became rare to see uh, an adolescent come on the unit who had a clean urine drug screen meaning no cannabis no anything it became the norm to see a positive uh, THC on the urine drug screen. And I also want to say we had a lot more psychosis on the unit too, because I worked pre-legalization and post-legalization. We had more psychosis, more severe psychosis, earlier psychosis. And that's what the data shows too, that there is a psychosis risk with cannabis. It's dose-related and potency-related. Um, and early cannabis use is associated with a two to three-year earlier onset of schizophrenia. I now I, I I you know I think that I just want to provide uh, some context that it does kind of depend on what we're talking about chronic heavy use uh, and, and you know sometimes it's hard to measure uh, as far as like you know separating these groups and studying these groups you know obviously there are associational kind of studies and we can't do experiments and things like that um, but I you know I just kind of, I I want also. Um, want to say that, you know, when I was looking at some of the research, it did depend on the number of traumatic events that the person had, too. Is that, Salonia, have, have you looked at some of that research, like sexual trauma, for example, uh, but then there was, it wasn't significant when they looked at uh, people without any kind of sexual traumatic mm-hmm. things going on? Yeah, yeah, I think that um, I, 
that I have, I have read about the adverse childhood events and how they affect our mental health in general, specifically when it comes to cannabis, I, I couldn't say, I couldn't speak to the research, but, um, but there were, you know, that's a huge confounding variable as well. So that's another, when I was doing my presentation for the drug interactions, uh, I was looking at the, the big question that we have is do people who use cannabis, are they really getting better? Is their anxiety and depression really getting better or is it getting worse uh, over time with the chronic use? And basically it was really difficult to tease that out because most of the, this is a, of course, a lot of this research is prior to legalization. So it would be a whole different sample now, but prior to legalization, prior to it being so ubiquitous, right? The, the kids that you have that are seeking out cannabis or that have access to cannabis are in very different types of environments than the kids who don't. And that means socioeconomic environment specifically, you know, parental monitoring, that was a big thing is how involved are your parents in your life? How much are they around? If they're not around, you're, you're more likely to use cannabis or any drug or get into trouble of any kind. Uh, but then, yes, the traumatic experiences, if you've had multiple, you know, uh, quote unquote, hits to your, to your, uh, I guess, moral well-being or moral injury when you're younger because of, because of uh, trauma, then you have even worse, I guess, dysregulation of your, of your emotions to begin with. So it's hard to know if the cannabis did that or if it was just a confounding variable. Is it how settled is it that it, we... we it should be recommended basically it's pretty it's how settled is it that young people should not be starting cannabis use and using it how settled is that question because it seems pretty strong the research seems pretty strong um are you prepared to make that yeah yeah no 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 i i think it's pretty settled i think that um i think that i don't think anyone under the age of 18 should use cannabis uh, i don't think I, I any mean, psychiatrist recommends Adolescence. Yeah. And that's purely yeah. because so of the risk of psychosis of developing. Psychosis. With that, can you define medical marijuana? Because I've had oh, patients good ask question. me, like, can yeah. you give me medical marijuana? And I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So medical marijuana is a weird term because I think it's used differently in a legal context versus just lay people using it. So like, I think what DM just said about people asking for medical marijuana because they have these medical marijuana cards, that is just, um, that just determines your access to marijuana. And that's more relevant to the times in California before it was legalized and where it was only for medical use. Um, but if we're talking about the legal, you know, from a legal perspective, I think medical marijuana is specifically marijuana that is used to treat FDA approved indications for marijuana, um, which, which, are, there are very few of them, but, but they're there. And they're ones that you, a lot of you probably know about, uh, specifically uh, nausea and vomiting. It's a great anti-emetic agent, uh, THC in general is. And so it's used a lot in nausea and vomiting that's refractory to other medications, especially in cancer patients. And that's, that's the FDA approved indication. And you know, someone can't walk into your office and ask for that unless you're their oncologist and you've tried other medications already for the, for the nausea and vomiting. Another use uh, for THC is for treating anorexia, meaning you know, treating low appetite or lack of appetite um, and weight loss in patients who have AIDS. So these patients have obviously a lot of issues with weight loss and uh, lack of appetite. And this can help because we, we all know that 
THC is an appetite stimulant. So that would be another medical marijuana use. And then you have, um, you have other uses as well, basically in more CBD, which we're going to talk about later, of the higher CBD content, which is really a lot of anti-epileptic use, especially in pediatric populations for these really obscure seizure disorders that most people have not heard of. Yeah, so these are prescribed pills. These are pills that people can take that, that can be prescribed by a doctor. What What is the form? Is it like a oil or something? What is, is it just a Yeah, so there's there's a couple different forms that they're all available um, in a, a couple different ways. So so you have the uh, what I was mentioning earlier for the refractory uh, nausea and vomiting in, uh, in cancer patients who are undergoing chemotherapy. They're prescribed something called dronabinol, which, which, is, uh, which is THC that is a medication that's been, you know, manufactured by a pharmaceutical company, something you prescribe. It's available in both an oral capsule and an oral solution. And that's, you know, those are the two ways you can administer that one. And then there's, uh, there's also a, there's a different, uh, more experimental drug, I guess, that you could say that you could call, I guess, experimental. Yeah, basically it's called nabiximols, which is one-to-one THC to CBD. And it's being investigated right now for neuropathy in patients who have HIV and, um, and polyneuropathy. It's also being looked at for advanced cancer pain and palliative care purposes. And that is also an oral solution. And then um, you have, basically you have, uh, I mean, those are the main ones. If we talk about CBD, then you have Epidiolex, which is also an oral solution. So yeah, most of them are oral. You wouldn't smoke any of these. I don't think any physician, you know, would recommend smoking anything just because of the- Can you speak a little bit, Saloni, about- the difference between THC, CBD, and the significance between indica and sativa. Yeah, yeah. I'll start with indica and sativa. So this was news to me as well when I when I did the research for this presentation. But there's actually no scientific difference between what people call cannabis sativa versus cannabis indica. It's actually just one. Sorry, go ahead. What What is it like? Because um, when the marketing for cannabis splits cannabis into indica or sativa strains is what they call or it. Right? hybrid. Yeah. Right. Um, and um, can you talk a little bit about what is commonly associated with indica versus sativa? Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's kind of a, a, like a, I guess a nice way to remember it or an easy way to remember it, which is indica. You can call it like the Indica couch sort of strain of marijuana or cannabis, <laughs> which is what you would think that you're kind of couch locked. You're very lethargic. Um, you're not really moving much. You know, it, it's more of that what you might call like the the body high or the effects on your body and your your movements and how active you are physically. And then you have that's what indica is known for is for more of that. So a lot of people use that more to relax after you know mm-hmm. something stressful or after a long mm-hmm. day at work or something. Meanwhile, sativa is uh, what is anecdotally known as the more pro-mind high or mental high marijuana. So it gives you more of the thought, the, you know, the, basically the thought, I guess, uh, impacts of marijuana, the, the thought, not, I'm not, not going to say disturbance, but basically it gives you more of those, the head high or the mental mm-hmm, high that mm-hmm. people like when they use sativa to think about things in a certain way, et cetera. 
Um, but yeah, like I, I said, it's basically a false dichotomy. There, it's only, there's only one plant and the scientific name is actually cannabis sativa indica. So both of those things are in the scientific name. It's one species, but there's multiple strains of this plant and they've been bred in different ways. So some of them have been bred probably uh, for more of that subjective body high experienced by people, whereas the other ones have been, you know, bred over time for more of the mind high. And so that's kind of why it's advertised that way. And, and like Dr. Park said, there's hi- hybrid formulations as well. And what yeah. I've seen in documentaries is that to designate in marketing something as being indica or sativa, the, um, the creators will actually smoke it. And then based off of their subjective feeling, will market it as indica or sativa. Yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting. That's a scientific way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. We're talking about cannabis. This is the second uh, of two parts, uh, episodes, two episodes on cannabis. And we're talking, we're joined with Dr. Saloni Singh, our, our resident expert, literally our resident expert on cannabis. Okay, uh, Saloni, um, what about CBD as an antipsychotic? Well, she, she was going to talk about THC versus CBD too. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. It's very important. Um, I think CBD is one of the, is really, really, it really is undervalued when we talk about cannabis. We need to talk a lot more about CBD, I think. So, so THC and CBD are two different molecules. They're, they're distinct from each other. They're completely different molecules and have very different effects in our bodies. Cannabis contains both of these. It also contains a lot of other molecules. Obviously it's a plant, so it's complex. But THC, like we talked about, is what you associate with the high, both, you know, um, both the the body high, mental high, all of those things. But it it gives you more of that. um, It gives you more of that dopamine hit. Um, You know, that's basically more more of what is addictive about the cannabis because it gives you this high that's pleasurable. Meanwhile, CBD does also have psychoactive effects. Uh, but it does not give you any kind of high. So people don't really build a tolerance to it. Uh, it's very rare or almost like non-existent to be dependent on CBD in a, in a, in a, from an addiction standpoint, that is. So it's really different. And then what, what Dr. Parks was saying about the antipsychotic properties, I think is really important. And this is why we mentioned, um, I think we might've mentioned this earlier, but the, the cannabis that's available today is really different from the cannabis that was available 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, your parents, your grandparents' cannabis is not the same as what we have access to in these dispensaries now. And the main difference is that these plants have been bred over time to have higher and higher and higher THC content because that's what people seek, right? That's the pleasure they seek out of THC. That's what makes, gets them thinking in an interesting way or gets them um, you know, uh, gives them the ap- appetite stimulation, all of that. So that's basically what um, they've been bred to do. So what's been happening is we've been getting higher and higher THC to CBD ratios, meaning the CBD content is going down. And in the natural plant before we, you know, basically bred it like this, they, they were a lot more balanced And THC, because it's the one that gives you the high and the mental effects, is also the one that is associated with the risk of developing psychosis and the acute anxiety that you feel when you are intoxicated. Whereas CBD is actually a natural antipsychotic is what a lot of the evidence is showing. 
but you would the it's not as potent as an antipsychotic as what we have available you know what we prescribe to our patients that's why we don't just tell people to go do cbd for their schizophrenia another reason is because cbd that's marketed in dispensaries often actually has thc in it when tested by third parties just yeah everyone knows safety that is and that's really important is uh legally in the u.s in order to be labeled pure cbd you need to have less than 0.3 percent thc but when they actually you know there's not very much regulation with cbd it's not very um it's basically not effective the regulation so when you do just a random sample of cbd products that are available which by the way you can buy cbd anywhere it's it's legal everywhere in the united states it has nothing to do with the cannabis legalization measures or decriminalization measures but when you buy these products and you take a sampling of them and this is something that i discovered for my presentation as well uh, actually 21 percent, so one in five of those supposedly pure CBD samples had a significant amount of THC. And I mean up to 16% THC, whereas the legal requirement or cutoff would be 0.3%. So yeah, you have to be careful what you're getting because you think that you're getting an antipsychotic or something that's not going to get you high or not be addictive, but you might be getting that. Um, but the, but the antipsychotic properties are really important because basically, um, it was what was keeping people from developing psychosis on cannabis for a long time. And that's why I think what Tosha was mentioning is you're seeing so much more of an incidence now of first break psychosis, especially in the pediatric population. Of course, part of that is because of prevalence of use. Prevalence of use has gone way, way up in the past 20, 30 years. But I think a lot of it is also the potency of these strains and the THC potency and the THC content. Uh, which is causing more psychosis because the CBD is not there to balance it out. That's a great point. That brings up a question. Like if you overdose on on THC or some sort of cannabis uh, edible or something, because that happens, you know, fairly frequently. Is it, have you heard of any studies that if you take uh, like CBD, would that counteract the psychotic uh, nature of the experience? And yeah, so they've though so they've shown that um, and they've shown studies that uh, basically cannabis products that have a higher CBD to THC ratio um, do have less of those negative effects that we talked about at the beginning of this uh, talk, which is the acute anxiety, psychosis-like symptoms, such as that paranoia, which is basically not quite psychosis, but it's a psychosis-like symptom, uh, as well as developing psychosis later on, um, and the cognitive psychomotor impairments and the risk of addiction. All of these things are significantly reduced uh, as you increase the CBD content of the cannab- cannabis product. So there is an, basically there's an inverse relationship between those negative effects and the CBD content. Interesting. I, I wanna switch to cl- more clinical focus uh, in the show for, as far as like folks you've seen, how do you deal with uh, cannabis use? How do you, maybe some notes on assessment, uh, differences that you see among practitioners I have my own thoughts, but who wants to kind of tackle that one as far as, you know, when they deal with it in a clinical way, uh, when they see use and what they say? I think I want to link that to a, a question I've, I've been wanting to ask. So let yeah, me go ahead, Alan. whoever else wants to answer. And this, this might, maybe I can link this to your question in the sense that a lot of it is we're wondering what to say to patients about these things. And I think a question I have is, um, you know, I, I heard you pose the question, Dr. Parks, um, should young people be doing cannabis? 
And then I heard Saloni like correct herself or, or specify that it wasn't a thought disturbance. And I've, we've talked about the stigma and what this is all kind of clustering around for me is the question, can, can, can cannabis be done in moderation? Is that acceptable? Is that something that like, is this going to be the new wine where it's like, Oh, well, a little bit of a, a day is okay. Or a little bit uh, is, you know, potentially healthy or something. I do I, think so. Yeah. That's, that's like the whole reason it's being legalized. Okay. Say more. But, but you feel like the doctors should have a say in that. And I, well, there's a reason they're coming to us, right? They're, they're coming to us because there's some sort of issue going on. So we look at all the factors that could be contributing to whatever issue it is, anxiety, depression, psychosis, and cannabis, we know, like based off of what we were just talking about, can contribute to all those things. So uh, um, yeah, I, I, I usually tell patients, you know, for just like alcohol, sometimes um, there's no issue with using it, but when we know that we use substances as a culture to alter the way we think. And if we already have any issues in, um, in our emotions, such as depression or anxiety, then we shouldn't be um, using those substances that we know we're using to, to change how our consciousness. So yeah, what do you think that it can sometimes be used? It sounds like Tosha. It, well, do you, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you think that it can sometimes be used in a way that's not a problem that this can be? Yeah. Okay, but, but but wait 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 wait. But but you know the way that we use alcohol, for example. Okay, okay, DM go. Uh, so sorry with that. I I think what Tosha and Alan were there. There are two types of patients that I see. There are ones who are looking for um, permission to medicate <laughs> with marijuana or substances, and you know having a diagnosis gives them permission. They think to medicate with these diagnose uh, with these substances and you know as a doctor you're giving them permission to medicate by giving them this diagnosis and you know prescribing it for them that's why they're asking for it and there's another class of patients who they don't think it's medication <laughs> they they're you know it's they're using it recreationally they don't see it as something they're putting into their body that affects their body very similar to alcohol that they it's social lubricant it's not creating psychosis it's not you know making them vomit or helping doing anything bad to them well yeah and i i would add like you know if if you know human beings want to have these changes in consciousness they're gonna do something they're gonna use something most most humans are currently it's alcohol I'd say mostly, but then now since we've legalized it, it's starting to be cannabis. And so the thing is like, what role do doctors want to play? Do they want to recommend certain levels of use or when and where, but, you know, but, but saying it, but I'm thinking like, if you say like, you know, don't use it, if you're feeling any kind of these, uh, you know, anxiety or depression or, you know, to address your emotions, but isn't that why people use substances? Isn't that a huge reason why people use substances to like, cause they feel stressed at the end of the day and they want to use, they want to drink, they want a glass of wine or something or a beer or something. And is that wrong or and what are we going to say? That, are we going to say, Hey, no, alcohol. <laughs> and yeah. I've never, I've never like told, and I, I don't you? know any doctor who has told a patient, <laughs> no, I mean it. you know, like what, a benzodiazepine. Joshua. Joshua. No, I mean, but haven't you, if you're offering a benzodiazepine, that's, 
I yes, mean, and to be fair, spirit, now I tell alcohol. the patients who ask for a benzodiazepine, it, it would be equivalent to me giving you a shot of vodka, and I, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> or I'm I very, use that like, I, I, I use I that 2DM. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, you, you're right, yeah, there are some, and it, you know, and that's why we're so cautious now with what we, with the medicate, with the benzodiazepines, what we do have. And, but, you know, there's a difference between, yes, what is socially acceptable and what is prescribed by your doctor. Or recommend, I mean, it doesn't have to be a prescribed thing. It could be, you know, because they're coming to doctors, seems like a logical place to go to, saying like, hey, I want to relax. I, I drink, I have one beer drink. That's the CDC says no more than that every day. You know, hey, but I want to switch to marijuana. I mean, is your, like, what role do you want to play? Or do you want to have like, well, my stance is that no drugs. I mean, my stance is like, no. Alcohol use disorder, somebody else can speak to it, is defined. <laughs> like there is a criteria where a certain number of days that you use where it becomes abuse. And Same with cannabis use disorder, we have that defined too. Exactly. So anything, what we're saying is, yeah, sure. If it's legal, it's legal. Live your life. But everything in moderation, it, anything can be abused. And anything, everything you put into your body will have consequences. So if you have data showing that the moderate and controlled use of cannabis is benign when it's not meeting criteria. Because I mean, like the ICD, when you look at the codes, I'm, I'm talking for those who don't bill, I'm talking about different billing codes having to do with diagnoses. There's also unhealthy cannabis use to behavior. There's all these other ones that don't come from DSM, from the, the American psychiatric reference that do seem to, like you can find diagnoses for people who are just using it and not using it that much. I, I treat it the same way I treat um, caffeine. Like if somebody has a known anxiety disorder, caffeine is not illegal, but it is a substance that we willfully imbibe that has a massive market around its use, and it is a psychoactive substance. And you can induce different states by using a lot of caffeine. So when a patient comes to me and they're like, oh, I have this you know, severe anxiety disorder, and I also have 18 shots of espresso a day, then I say, well, your use is problematic then. Or like uh, for cannabis, you know, if somebody has a psychotic disorder, it's like if there's THC anywhere near what you're doing, you're going to make it worse and my medications are not going to work. But like if somebody is, is a relatively calm person with, a, you know, a little bit of the blues or whatever, and they say, oh, I smoke once a day, I, I still kind of go, eh, you maybe cut down on as much THC as possible, but the T, but, you know, relative to the CBD, I, I don't know. I think you have to kind of tailor it because these things are available. And that is the last word, Joshua. You've been listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. And today we talked about cannabis use and the research behind it with Dr. Saloni Singh and the gang. Thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshi Yamaguchi Damwen, Joshua Poole, and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. And you can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Fong. So special thanks go out to him. And I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. (laughs) 